Hello scholars, this is the professor speaking, and I welcome you to Hi, That's Scary, a podcast that utilizes cannabis to analyze horror cinema. The title of today's lecture is Remakes and the Role They Play, Part 2. Today we will be continuing our discussion on My Bloody Valentine 3D. If you have not listened to Remakes and the Role They Play, Part 1, please pause and do so before you continue. Last lecture, we finished on Tom and Sarah's emotionally tense meetup, followed by Axel receiving Irene's heart in a Valentine's box. We go to Tom entering a town bar, and he is promptly punched by a man named Hinch. What a great way to start, isn't it? As they're being separated, Hinch tells Tom that Warden is back because of him, that Warden wants him. Make note of that, I'm going to touch on it again later. There ends up being a bit of a mini bar fight, and Tom is helped by former Sheriff Burke to get out of it. Burke pulls Tom to the side, and he immediately starts victim blaming. He points out that it was Tom's mistake that led everything to happening, and Tom rightfully points out that Warden killed those people and not him. Imagine how much therapy this man needed to be able to get to that place. At this point, I'm on Tom's side. Because he's right. He fucked up, but he didn't kill those five miners, and he didn't kill the people the night of the massacre. Tom continues his point by calling out that Burke was the sheriff when Warden did his thing. Which is low, like, Tom, you've been gone for a decade, you don't know if they blame him or not. It's entirely possible that they did, but he's actually been around the past ten years to redeem himself in their eyes. Burke even looks a bit wounded by the remark and reminds Tom that he's one of the few people on his side. Tom leaves the bar. Axel's sitting at home re-watching the Irene footage. Sarah comes in, and Axel ends up confronting her about Tom. He's questioning if she still has feelings for the guy she dated a decade ago. And when she gets defensive, I don't blame her. He literally has no reason to think that she still has romantic feelings for Tom. She is whole-ass married to him. He's also trying to convince her that Tom's the killer in the same argument, which is definitely how you want to do that. Axel pulls out the picture of Sarah and Tom from that night that Sarah had kept in a drawer as a way to prove his point. Sir, of course she kept that picture. Tom didn't break up with her. He literally disappeared and abandoned her. She likely mourned the loss like a death. To be upset over her owning a picture of her ex that she loved a whole decade ago, while he's busy porking some teen 20-something in his fuck cabin, is peak hypocritical bullshit. Sarah, honey, divorce him. He sucks. He uses that moment to show Sarah Tom appearing on the video footage passing by Irene's room to rub in that he's right while trying to mask it as him being worried about her. It's gross. Axel's gross. 
The next morning, when Sarah is opening the grocery store, Tom appears suddenly, startling her. He wants to talk and convinces her to take a walk with him to do so. Sarah is visibly wary and, remembering her and Axel's talk the night before, don't blame her. And this is creepy. He waited out in front of her job and says that he made sure to get there early. He makes it seem like it's because he didn't want to make her late while still giving time to talk, and that is very likely what he intended. The issue is that Sarah is a woman, alone, in the early morning, opening up her workplace when she is suddenly approached by her ex-boyfriend from 10 years ago that she definitely still has unresolved trauma with, and essentially is coerced into taking a walk with him because she doesn't have an excuse to not go with him since he arrived so soon. So they go on the walk, and the talk doesn't go very well. The whole thing with Tom selling the mines comes up, and Sarah essentially tries to make him feel guilty for it, like everyone else. And it doesn't make sense. I can't make it make sense. Why are these people so upset about him selling when they already hate him, and if he didn't sell, they'd be working under him. I already mentioned last lecture that I firmly do not think Tom should keep the mine and why. So I need someone to explain to me like I'm five why they're so pressed about this. I understand the livelihood of your town is at stake, but if Tom keeping the mine is the the best solution, then they were doomed anyway. Please show me one sequence in this movie where that man can tell me what a quarterly report looks like and what the contents of it actually means, and I'll agree he's being an asshole by selling. Until someone can provide me with that information, I can easily conclude that Tom would not be able to effectively run the mines, and they probably would have closed within a few short years. It's a shitty situation, but he's not making the wrong decision by wanting to sell. Sarah and Tom's conversation ends. Tom goes to the mines to talk with Ben. The miners working all quite clearly do not like that Tom is there. I get they have reasons not to like him, but then why they want him to be their boss? Scholars, your professor was quite confused by this, and I still can't figure it out. Anyway, Tom suits up, as you are supposed to when entering a mine, and goes down with one of the men that very visibly is not cool with him. They go down the mines and they end up in an area where there's few people, so you know where this is headed. There's a brief flashback that Tom ends up having for the day of the mine collapse. Tom and Harry Warden had actually gotten into an argument right before, with Tom yelling at him that he knew how to do his job. Then things went boom. This flashback really made me squint. Because while Tom obviously has fault in the situation, 
the fact that everything that happened from the explosion to the current time period of the film is getting piled on this dude who was maybe 20 when things originally went down. Hell, according to that flashback, he was there when it happened. So it's not like he forgot about draining the lines and went home. He was there, too. Adding to that, there aren't there usually two people in charge of things like checking the lines? In the original film, which I will be discussing more later as well, two, two supervisors were in charge of the lines, and they both dropped the ball. Why was it only Tom whose responsibility it was to drain them? What I'm trying to ask here is, where was his spotter? Because if he was the only person who was supposed to work on that, the town should be blaming his dad and not him. In high-risk jobs like this, pushing that level of responsibility onto one person who is also juggling other responsibilities of the job is quite frankly negligent in my opinion. I also want to make clear that I'm not trying to absolve Tom of responsibility. He didn't do his job in the way that it needed to be done, and there was a workplace accident because of it. But this accident and Tom's epic ball drop is indicative of a problem with the higher-ups. So everyone pushing all of the blame on Tom left a bad taste in my mouth especially after that little clip. Back to reality, we've got Tom in the mines with the dude that don't like him, and the area is fairly empty. Tom actually ends up alone. Is that going to be a recipe for disaster? Yes, indeed. We've got more death. The miner, the killing one, not the salty unnamed dude that escorted Tom, decides this is the perfect time to say hi. The miner attacks Tom, but doesn't kill him. He just gets a cut on his arm. Tom gets put in this cage-type thing they have down there to lock up tools and supplies and such. The miner takes his pickaxe and then bends the lock, trapping Tom inside. He also fucks with Tom a little bit, staring at him and rattling things, but he quickly switches focus. As Tom watches in horror, the miner takes to what he does best. Moida. The guy that didn't like Tom is back, and he and the miner have a fight. The miner wins when he stabs the guy in his dome with a pickaxe. And then he disappears before the other miners, having heard screaming, come to check out what's going on. They find Tom locked in the cage and the dead guy, so there's already yelling and speculation, even though home dude was literally locked in a box. But I... There's a jump to the hospital where Tom is getting stitches for his wound. Ben and former Sheriff Burke are there as well. Tom is, understandably, freaking out. Axel's there, because Sheriff, and he's convinced Tom did it. They argue, and it goes from being about people getting killed to Tom's intentions in being back in town. As in, what are your intentions with my wife type shit. It gets worse when Tom says that he's 
thinking about not selling and just for why why in the name of everything spooky would he decide not to sell for sarah what did his ex-girlfriend yelling at him remind him how hot she is does he want to get his dick wet with the girl he abandoned and who is whole ass married to his rival like what type of soap opera anime shit is he on and it doesn't make sense i can't make it make sense that's such a stupid reason not to sell he even already has a deal with a company to buy it so axel starts going off and pretty much is staking claim over sarah like she's an object instead of a person he then decides that since Tom is saying Warden is back and he didn't do it to prove some relevant information, that Harry Warden is confirmed dead because a bunch of vigilantes caught, killed, and buried him. This is the same trick he did with Sarah, pulling out this case evidence that's not supposed to be shared with the public to prove his point in the argument that Tom is trying to be Mr. Steal Your Girl. It very much gives the vibe that he doesn't actually care that people are dying. He's just mad that his wife might be stepping out on him and he's willing to compromise evidence to prove he is right. As the sheriff, that's concerning. It's only going to get worse because then Axel decides to take it even further. Axel and his deputy, who I neglected to mention last time, is the only black guy in this movie, and I had to look up his that his name was Martin, because he's literally just there to add some flavor to the cast, but I digress. Take Tom, Ben, and Burke to the site of Harry Warden's grave. Which would be considered a crime scene! When they get there, no body. Just empty, dead-up dirt. The decision to reveal Warden as being dead dead with a but is he with the empty grave is trying to balance the OG ending twist in a heavily updated story so that the viewer, just like Sarah is eventually, is guessing between three potential suspects. The film ends up getting bogged down with supposed twists that nothing ends up being an actual twist? Now, this is the first time I'm mentioning it, but throughout the film, it's a question as to who exactly the minor is until the end when we find out, spoiler, it's Tom, who has some ambiguous form of disassociative identity disorder. Believe me, I have a lot to say about that whole mess, but for now, I'm going to bring up some info regarding the original film. In the original film, the mind collapse happened, Warden went insane, killed the supervisors that were responsible for the incident. Throughout the film, they think Warden is back and killing people. At the end, we get the reveal that Warden has been dead for five years, and Axel is actually the killer. What this film was trying to do, and did, was keep true to some of the original aspects of the story while updating it for a 2000s audience. They wanted to keep the twist aspect so they couldn't keep Axel as the killer. Instead, they made it Tom. I want to circle back to the bar fight when Hinch says that Warden is back because he wants Tom. Him saying that is an allusion to the supposed war 
going on in Tom's mind between himself and Warden. Warden is back because of Tom, because Tom is Warden. Warden wants Tom because Warden wants to be the dominant personality, effectively killing him in a sense. Combine that with the visual shot of Tom and Warden looking at each other while Tom's in the cage earlier on, because the Tom personality is in a mental cage. The empty grave that Tom is standing at with the others can be interpreted as a metaphorical resurrection that most won't notice until at least the second watch. That is part of the beauty of a remake. In trying to retell the story, the writers have made these really interesting choices that end up forming a much deeper picture than expected, and I believe they intended. Back at the station, Axel is interrogating Tom. Tom denies killing anyone. Axel keeps asking questions, normal interrogation things, although there's very clear hostility. Tom then decides to lose his damn mind, apparently, because once he grows tired of being accused of murder, he says to Axel, You know she settled for you, right? Scholars, the noise I made. That was wild out of pocket for no reason. Axel does what's expected of him as a character and punches Tom. Deputy Martin comes in and stops the fight because it was proven that Tom was locked in the cage and he couldn't have done it. Knowing what we know about the rest of this film, we know that's evidently not true. So we have the first set of yikes with the fact that they were grilling him for killing people when he was locked in a cage. But then the fact that they ended up being wrong and he locked himself in there? This whole scene is a wonderful combination of our favorite horror staples. Inept law enforcement and police brutality! Tom and Ben leave the station. Tom doesn't want to leave town. Ben points out the situation that's going on to try to convince him to. Tom shoots back, reminding Ben that he's also a potential target with his having helped, quote-unquote, try to kill Warden. Tom leaves. Tom goes to the mines again. He's looking around and he sees a light. The miner's headlamp helmet. The light darts out into the woods and Tom goes after it and, like, for why? I get that with the end, he's just in the woods by himself right now, but he didn't know that, so I ask why? What did he think he was gonna do when he caught up with who he thinks is Warden? You know, Warden that in Tom's mind has whooped his ass and nearly killed him not once, but twice? Tom really out here saying self-preservation? I don't know her. So he chases the light, and considering it isn't real and is just in his head, it for some reason made me think of the opening of Mulan when she ties the stick with the bone to her dog to feed the chickens. The light is Tom's bone, and his brain is the stick. So what's Tom's chickens? I'm glad you asked, scholars, because Tom's chickens is Axel's fuck cabin. No, I am not kidding. 
We then switch over to Ben, who is sleeping, but somehow manages to drunkenly wake himself up. It's nighttime, he's drunk and alone. I wonder what's going to happen next. So, uh, the miner comes and bing bang boom, Ben's dead. Meanwhile, Axel and Sarah are still having issues. Axel is convinced there is something going on between Sarah and Tom, like totally convinced his wife is having at least an emotional affair from what I can gather from his behavior. Sarah does not like this, and the conversation ends. The transition from Sarah's face to the next scene made me pause. Because there's her looking all upset and confused and such, and then a fade to Ben's hollowed out deer carcass of a corpse. I will admit, I'm a bad person, but it was so funny. She just looks so not fuego to transition to a guy that got turned into a coin purse. I was high, it was hilarious. Now, Ben's corpse is found at Harry Warden's dug up grave, so Axel, who is there because crime scene, concludes that it must have been Tom or Burke, since they were the only people, aside from Ben, who is dead, Deputy Martin, and Axel himself that were there. Axel has a car stationed outside his house. At the grocery store, it's nearing closing time. Megan is mopping, and she's doing a pretty shitty job of it, and it was annoying. Like, she was wearing a mini-mini skirt, so she couldn't really bend the way one would need to in order to effectively mop. Sarah asks her to switch tasks so they can get out quickly as Axel doesn't want them there by themselves late with a killer on the loose. Megan does, but she also decides to have a weird conversation with Sarah. She asks Sarah why she's not with Tom. Sarah tells her that Axel had been there for her when she needed him. Side note, does that mean the only reason they got together was because of trauma? Because we don't see them quote-unquote being in love. They don't have a moment where as the viewer I was able to say concretely that these people love each other currently or even at all in a romantic sense. Just because they're married and have a kid doesn't mean they were ever in love. Their entire relationship quite possibly is just a trauma response rather than whole genuine feelings. And this is not me saying I don't think that they love each other, period. That's different. I think they love each other, but not as spouses, which would explain Axel's infidelity and part of Sarah's strong draw to Tom. Megan decides to point something out to Sarah. She says to her, but he's not anymore. The audacity. Like, I don't care if she's right. As the person who is sleeping with Sarah's husband, this roundabout sentence just pissed me off. Megan should either tell her outright that she's having an affair with Axel, or don't say anything. There isn't a middle ground with trying to tell Sarah she's being cheated on. Tell everything or nothing at all. It's like Megan is trying to lead a horse to water, but all she's doing is leading the horse to the locked gate surrounding the water and wants the horse to open it with no opposable thumbs. Stop pussyfooting around or shut the fuck up, Megan. Their conversation is cut short when they hear a noise. The miner is in the store. Sarah and Megan slowly start walking through the building. There's a cool shot of the miner at the end of an aisle, but when Sarah and Megan get there, he's gone. Megan decides to talk again, and she sounds kind of annoyed when she says, There's no one here, Sarah. The lights immediately go off. 
very surprise bitch moment and the two of them are about to just bounce but there's a bit of a hiccup they run into the miner there's a chase sequence sarah gets hit but escapes the miner only to fall megan comes and hits the miner with a shovel and i will give her brownie points for that because she could have left sarah to die and had axel to herself but she did it because she's not a terrible human being she's made mistakes there's a scuffle more chasing sarah nearly gets impaled but doesn't the two of them make it back to the manager's office they push a filing cabinet and a desk against the door Sarah holds the desk while directing Megan to unlock the window security screen. That takes a while. Megan needs to find the keys and then find which key is actually to the gate. So Sarah is holding this desk for a really long time. Considering the miner was going at that door full force and Sarah managed to keep the door closed, the door actually started getting broken down with the pickaxe once it was apparent Sarah could hold that desk there. Sarah's low-key brawlick, good for her. Megan finally managed to get the window unlocked and go outside. The banging at the door stopped. Sarah, realizing something is wrong, tries pulling Megan back inside. Megan is grabbed by the miner. Sarah manages to get away, pushing the alarm button by the door. Why it wasn't pushed when they first got in there, I'll never know. And runs. She ends up running into Axel. They go together around the side of the building to check things out. They find Megan on the ground, her heart cut out, and the words, Be mine forever, written in blood above her. It seems this film has gone a bit more in depth than with previous lectures, so this is all I have for you today, scholars. Next week, we will have the end of the film and our conclusions to discuss, as this is turned into a three-parter unexpectedly. Before we wrapped up, I wanted to give a quick reminder about the efforts being made to address the issue of villainization, erasure, and censorship of minority stories by the CW Network. We will be providing a link in the description to a Google document that has listed currently about 500 instances of mishandling of minority representation across 17 shows on the network. We don't want them to keep adding to the list. This week, right now, February 1st to the 7th, please do not stream CW content or engage with their social media. It would be a tremendous help. Tune in next week for Remakes and the Role They Play Part 3. Until then, stay scary.